life, the universe, and everything in between. Graham Hill's Weekend Variety Wireless on Radio Live. familiar strain from a 1978 release that became absolutely massive. I kind of wish I was Geordie because War of the Worlds would sound so much more entertaining, wouldn't it? War of the Worlds. Um, <laughs> That's true. And it has me scratching my head. This Jeff Wayne thing, I'm so surprised how massive it was. And it's like almost like a vanity project. Um, yeah. He did this thing, the only thing he's really ever done, and it's like the 40th biggest selling record of all time. Why? And it's sold in huge quantities here, eh? Yeah. I, I get people phoning me up all the time because I've got a little record store here in Nelson. And they're going, oh, I've got this and I've got that. And there's this old Beatles record. And there's something really highly collectible in there as well. And it ends up being War of the Freaking Worlds. They think it's worth a swag because it's a double LP with a big booklet in the middle. But it seemed to be in every second Wastrel's record collection in the late 70s, eh? Yeah. And... Strangely enough, the double album status of it didn't put people off, and yep. it wasn't like Jeff Wayne was holding back. You're going to do a vanity project, it's going to be a double gatefold. <laughs> That's right. I can only assume you had a bunch of stoners doing themselves over to the, you know, like the radio play aspect of it, all the narration and the way it, it kind of hoons along with a major concept holding it all together. I suppose yeah. so, but it's such a well-worn story, though, isn't it? It's a good story, but we kind of know how it ends. <laughs> yeah. I guess a lot of people in the late 70s, would they have known the story necessarily? The novel, the H.G. Wells original book, was 1898 mm. for a start. And then the next sort of go round the block it had was a famous radio play that Orson Welles made in 1938. Mm. Famously caused a bit of panic in people. And they treated it like they were interrupting a bit of light classical music or whatever. And people apparently lurched out into the street with panic and yeah. police policemen ended up gate-crashing the radio studio and all of that. So it was created some drama, but that's 1938 we're talking about, and this is 40 years later. So maybe for a lot of people, this is their main first sort of collision with the story. Yeah, the yeah, yeah. The, the first radio event is the most famous and, and effective. I'm not sure yep. too many people put on the record and were scared that margins were actually coming. <laughs> no. <laughs> but anyway. No, but the story also, they might have known nothing about the thing from 40 years earlier. It True. probably got some sort of promotion at the time and became the album that people were talking about and they all lurched out and bought it. I imagine that's what happened. I mean, bits of it, because it's the late 70s, some songs ended up getting club play because <laughs> they, they're sort of fairly disco-ish at the end. It got played by club DJs in New York and things like that. Far out. So, yeah, it's a mad sort of a thing, eh? Lots of overacting, lots of freaky sounds. You know, I can see why people would have been intrigued by it. Yeah. The thing I like the most about it still actually is Richard Burton's lovely crusty accent on there. You can yeah. say anything and you'd bloody believe it, wouldn't you? Because it's just such a, oh, well, goodness me. I know. The voice is glorious. You know, in the original book, H.G. Wells' book, he's called The Journalist. 
that character relaying the whole adventure and travelling around between places as the earth crumbles and mm. the Martians start wasting people with their heat ray and so on. Okay, Jeff Wayne will talk about his career because he came from an unusual position to put this record out and how on earth he managed to muster a stable of enormous talent for the day. I still don't know, maybe you do, but we'll hear a little bit of the beginning of it, shall we? A bit of Richard Burton spooking the hell out of us and one of the more ridiculous lyrics, I think musically rather unromantic and unfeeling. What is it? The likelihood of anything coming from Mars is a million to one they said. It's yes. not often you hear stats in lyrics. <laughs> no. No one would have believed in the last years of the 19th century that human affairs were being watched from the timeless worlds of space. No one could have dreamed we were being scrutinized as someone with a microscope studies creatures that swarm and multiply in a drop of water. Few men even considered the possibility of life on other planets. And yet, Across the gulf of space, minds immeasurably superior to ours regarded this earth with envious eyes. And slowly and surely, they drew their plans against us.
full with electronic more porks and stuff like that. It's a weird sounding record to my ears. People loved it though. Oh, they did. Justin Haywood singing. He's one of the moodier of the blues. Yeah, that's right. The moodier of the blues, that's right. The Knights of White Satin mm. guy, who apparently Jeff Wayne was a fan of that song specifically, and sought him out to sing through here, along yeah. with some of the other um, strange guest artists that we'll yeah. hear in a minute. Jeff Wayne has written thousands and thousands of pieces of music for ads and TV things like that. He's uh, an American who spent a lot of time in Britain. I've got an ad from Esso. Have you heard, heard this? Yeah, I have. I went and found it today. Yeah, it's quite a good thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. This is his strong suit, actually. I think writing for ads, albeit the populace proves me wrong in exactly how massively this thing sold. But anyway, yeah. here's his ad for Esso, the petrol company. spoken word over that's just really actually quite nice editing advertising yeah, yeah. their type of gas with his spooky music and you can hear sort of wor the words in there can't you you can yeah it's got that the sort of string arrangements and so on that you get great blasts of all through this record along with synthesizers which he plays throughout this album as well he did the theme for good morning britain itv's the big match geez that's a big contract the worlds yeah. of sport bbc 60 minutes I just knew that he was a bit of an arranger, American, ended up in England for a long time, but then um, I knew that this had become his sort of meal ticket, really, really because he's since then staged massive Wembley-sized shows where they build Martian spacecraft and it creeps around the stage. Yeah. And he made the next generation version of War of the Worlds only in the early 2000s or something, I think, or 2010 or something, it wasn't that long ago, mm. where he decided he'd further develop. He, I think he's got delusions of grandeur myself. He's so do I, big he'd ones. further develop plot lines and characters that H.G. Wells had kicked out there in the first place and just improve them. Yeah, he's done his own thing with it. Rather than find some other massive sci-fi epic that he could sink his teeth into, he's just seemingly endlessly rehashed this ever since he made it 40 years ago. Yeah, it's really unusual to have someone that is one of the most successful record-selling artists in the world. You could walk up to them and say, 
Oh, so you're one of the biggest selling artists in the world? He says, yes. What did you do? War of the Worlds, dot. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> yes, it's true. I don't get it. No. Uh, this is the but... worst advertisement for vanity projects because it's going to give people ideas. Yeah, I'm with you. Although with I don't know half of Pink Floyd at this stage was a vanity project for Roger Waters, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Oh, I hate Actually. to say so, but I feel it. <laughs> I'm Flo- with you there. Floating pigs, big walls, and Jeff Wayne comes along with the War of the, War of the Worlds, and so there you go. It yeah. fits in perfectly with the zeitgeist. I always wanted to say zeitgeist. I think I'm using it in the right way. I think you are for a change. All right, Horsell Common, you like this thing. I like this a lot because to this day, sci-fi nerds make pilgrimages to Horsell Common because of this song. Horsell Common actually exists. It's 880 acres in Surrey in England. H.G. Wells situated the first landing of the Martians into this weird geographical thing that's in the centre of Horsell Common, which is a huge sand pit, mm. where at some stage lots of sand was quarried out for um, building the local houses and stuff. A massive sort of a thing. And so you've got Richard Burton describing this fantastic scenario where there's suddenly a crashing and a clattering and the townspeople all hoon out onto the common and this thing is crashed to the ground and suddenly the lid falls off the spacecraft and two luminous disc-like eyes poke out and this thing larger than a bear rises up slowly. It says, glistening like wet leather. I love it. Tentacles waving around, a lipless mouth. He gives some description that was supposed to strike fear into the hearts of the listener, I suppose. They don't know at this stage, of course, if they have evil intent, these incoming critters, so a couple of geezers shuffle up towards the thing and it melts them, incinerates them with an unearthly heat ray. Love it. You know, it sets the scene for the whole thing, really, of general malevolence. But musically, it's odd, too, because, like, halfway through, it evolves into some sort of mad disco tune, almost, but with some clanky stringed instrument, like a balalaika or something, twanging away over the I don't know what it is. It's a weird-sounding thing. I think we're actually well, quite well chosen. Maybe an op-shop guitar with a reverb on it or something. Something strange. Yeah. And in the end, you know, Richard Burton's describing all this, and then... Um, People run from the common when he's, they've wasted a couple of the locals with the heat ray. He goes home, writes an account of it for his newspaper, and then he goes non-ice. That's the end of that song. Oh, <laughs> As if you'd sleep, you'd be going, hey, get me out of here. <laughs> Wouldn't you? Yeah. It's like, I think I'll go to bed now. That was weird. Oh, well. Something else that would... Time for a Milo. You know. Something else that would kind of take away the magic is if you got a uh, scratch in the record. And yep. then they came down, or t- then they came down, or t- then they came... <laughs> yes, definitely. Next morning, a crowd gathered on the common, hypnotised by the unscrewing of the cylinder. Two feet of shining screw projected when, suddenly, the lid fell off. disc-like eyes appeared above the rim. A huge, rounded bulk, larger than a bear, rose up slowly, glistening like wet leather. Its lipless mouth quivered and slapped, and snake-like tentacles writhed as the clumsy body heaved and pulsated. People clawed their way off the common, and I ran too. I felt I was being toyed with. That when I was on the very verge of safety, this mysterious death would leap after me and strike me down. At last I reached Maybury Hill, and in the dim coolness of my home, 
I wrote an account for my newspaper before I sank into a restless, haunted sleep. Okay, there's Horse of Common and all these the heat rays and Richard Burton blathering on and one of the biggest selling records of all time and Jeff Wayne's only one. Okay, he's done a couple of others, but this is his thing. Weird. We'll explore more about Jeff Wayne when we return. You're tuned in. You're tuned in. To Graham Hill's Weekend Variety Wireless on Radio Live. From 1978. War of the Worlds came out. Man, it was just massively popular. So freaking popular that it remains to this day in the top 40 best-selling albums of all time, in the UK anyway. I was stunned to discover that, actually. That yeah. surprised me. I mean, at one stage, everyone had to go out and get Frampton Comes Alive. Yeah. <laughs> Another freaky double album with not much merit, probably. But, you know, things become a thing and uh, in those days before the music business all fractured so much into people's little separate wee niche tastes yeah, a record would become huge for a few weeks and that would be it but I'm just surprised it suggests that this kept selling for years yeah. or has sold big quantities when it's been reissued since or something for it to still be up there in the top 48. Yeah now Jeff Wayne he basically just TV themes and ads and he would have done quite nicely out of that but this is a vanity project and he made it big. Now how how on God's good earth, give me an answer, how did he rope in some of the biggest stars on the planet? Not so much creative stars, but big names. I'll do you the list, and you just think. Richard Burton, one of the most sought-after actors. David Essex. Phil Linnett. Finn freaking Lizzie. Yeah. <laughs> Julie Covington. Justin Haywood from the Moody Blues. Chris Thompson from Manfred and His Men. Yes, and Chris Thompson, lest we forget, from Hamilton. Yes. Part of the time. Yeah, he had a big New Zealand connection, that boy. Chris Spedding, one of the most sought-after session guitarists ever. He's played with everybody, David Bowie, Elton John, Brian Frickin' Eno, and the Wombles. That's the pinnacle, clearly. Yeah. Trevor Mori and those cats, Orinoco. Herbie Flowers has played bass on tons and tons of massive artists. Yep, uh, including the bass line of that Lou Reed's Walk thing. on the Wild Side. Walk on the Wild Side, yeah, that was one of his most famous things where he just got the centre stage. And even the percussionist, Ray Cooper, he's played with Pink Floyd and, oh, how? Did he inherit Sussex or something? What? <laughs> He must have had some pull. He must have had a few people throwing some money at this, obviously, who thought it would be a goer, and rightly so. OK, I don't really know, but I'm thinking that this is a fair theory. He made good money in the advertising game and yep. just always wanted to do something like this, so squirreled it away, and then, OK, here it comes, I'm going to do it, and managed to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. good on him. He no. probably would have been happy if he, he just had one copy at home to play to chicks at 3am. 
Yes. The most famous tune on this, Forever Autumn. I've got the original version. This was actually yoinked from another version. It was, in fact, a Lego commercial. Here's the Lego commercial version. Osborne and Vigrass's Forever Autumn. the moodiest of the blues. Shall we just play it? Why not? All part thereof. The summer sun is fading as the year grows old And darker days are drawing near The winter winds will be much colder Now you're not The birds fly south across the autumn sky And one by one they disappear I wish that I was flying with them Now you're not here Like the sun through the trees you came On my weary eyes As if to hide a lonely tear My life will be forever autumn Cause you're not here Cause you're not here Massive hit. 
Well, you know, it was a song that Jeff Wayne already had the rights to and had co-written with the first characters we heard singing it and um, decided you needed a sort of love story overlay in there somewhere because the Martians start to hoof around the area blasting the town and killing people in their thousands. So the journalist hoofs off to London, I think it is, because the love of his life lives there. Gets there and then a character playing him ultimately sings that song. You know, what am I going to do now that you're not here? Right. Life is turned to shit. Is the world being smoked by these intergalactic ruffians? but my one true love is gone. But then he spies her out in the harbour yeah. in a boat that manages to get away because this battleship called the Thunderchild looms on the scene, British battleship, and starts taking out some of these big Martian war machines, which are like big metal things with tripod legs. God, and it makes you proud to be British, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. It takes out a few of them just as they're about to deal to the boat with his beloved in it. The Thunder Child arrives, does its business, and the boat gets away. So somewhere out in the world, his beloved still exists, which is always a good part of these sort of romantic things, isn't it? And Chris Thompson sings that Thunder Child song. Yeah, about right. Well, I, I haven't finished with your forever bloody autumn thing. It yeah. is a barefaced attempt to shoehorn in a love song that has nothing to do, really, with the theme of what's going on on the record. And therefore... Really sensible. Because it was the biggest single off the thing, wasn't it? Yeah, true. I mean, it was the thing that charted and ultimately made people lurch out and buy it. Yeah. And then discover all the weirdness that clustered all around. And realise <laughs> they had to wait an hour 15 for somebody to... Oh, there the bloody... There it is. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, all right. Okay. the child we should hear a bit of, because it's almost the bleatings of a compatriot on this one, isn't it? Chris Thompson was born in Kent in England, but he was raised here in New Zealand. And he played in a school band over here called the Paragons. He played at church youth club dances here in New Zealand. That band changed its name to Dynasty. The last band he was here in New Zealand was Mandrake, who he formed with some university friends. So he spent a lot of his time growing up here. And they'd play in and around Hamilton. Then he buggered off to Australia, eventually back to the UK and joined Manfred Mann's Earth Band and became famous. You know, he only joined Manfred Mann in 1976, so it's only a couple of years before this came out, and then Jeff gave him the call to sing Thunderchild. Here we go. Play God Defend New Zealand or listen to your fellow New Zealander on one of the biggest records of all time, Chris Thompson, Thunderchild, or part thereof. There were ships of shapes and sizes scattered out along the and I thought I heard her calling as the steamer pulled away. The invaders must have seen them as across the coast they piled, standing from between them. There lay the child. Who they slipped through the waters, cannons blazing as she a mighty mess of warlord crashing down in sheets of flame sensing victory was nearing thinking fortune must have smiled people started There we go. Thunderchild, Chris Thompson of Manfred Man, Blinded by the Light, etc. Uh, OK, we'll take a break and come back with more from this peculiar thing from 1978, The War of the Worlds. The Weekend Variety. Wireless. 
War of the Worlds came out in 1978. I looked askance and saw people buy it. They'd run out of money, but they still borrowed and begged to get this bloated double album because uh, they felt they have to. They'd run out of money because they'd already spent most of their cash on rumours. Yes. Rumours by Fleetwood Mac and Hotel California by the Eagles. This is the other must-have. Yeah, something strange is happening. It made sense at the time, I'm sure. It does have a peculiar sound about it. I get bits of Jesus Christ Superstar in there. Yeah, recurring sort of motifs drift in through all the songs, don't they? Several things just repeat through various tunes to link them all together. The electric moorfork, I don't like that. They go... I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that thing that sounds like whaley, distorted sound that sounds like it was going... New York... And apparently this is the sound that the Martians make to each other mm. when they're in their craft, amplifies out into a song where you just hear a couple of those solitary ooh-la sounds going on and you? you know you know there's only a couple of them left, but that crops up whenever the whenever the Martians are right there, that sound sort of rears up in the background. Mm. The next tune on this though is a weird sort of thing called Red Weed. It's a bit of a diversion where the Martians have started to take over blast most towns, demolish lots of human settlements, and the Earth has sort of succumbed to these guys, and they've established this red vegetation that, according to H.G. Wells, is what gives Mars its red colour. Yeah, why not? From a distance, is this thing growing all over it. So you've got Richard Burton describing this red plant growing across all the waterways and blanketing the Earth. The tune is just a lot of synth flute action. I can see why you might compare it to bits of Jesus Christ Superstar. Yeah, it does feel like that. As man had succumbed to the Martians, our land now succumbed to the red weed. And we'll move on to a spirit of man. What the hell's going on here? He starts talking about Jesus and Satan and everything. And this is Phil Phil Linnett. I can tell you exactly what's going on. The original H.G. Wells story, which in the very distant past I've read, there's just a character called the curate. And he is a sort of religious figure. And he, he rears up in the original story because there were so many religious allegories in the back of so many books being written around the late 1800s when it was written, that these incoming Martians are actually Satan incarnate, that people are getting their just desserts for their ungodly way they've been living and so on. In Jeff Wayne's version, Phil Linnett plays a character called Pastor something or other. He gets a name actually in the the booklet. I can't remember what it is. Tagliatelle. Yeah, that'll do. So you've got Phil Linnett talking about the evils of humanity, and then you've got Julie Covington as the other part of the duet talking about how with a bit more love we might all find salvation and mm. conquer the evil of these critters. That's ultimately what goes on in the yeah. spirit of man. Okay. I prefer him singing Whiskey in the Jar and the boys are back in town and things like that myself, I have to say. I wonder how much cash was handed over for him to say yes. Or did he gleefully come running to this project? Hard to say. And this features Julie Covington, of course, who had become extremely famous by being extremely British. Yes. The voice of the devil is heard in our land. Listen, do you hear them drawing near in their search for the sinners? Feeding on the power of our fear and the evil within us. Incarnation. 
Creation of Satan's creation of all that we dread When the demons arrive, those alive would be better off dead There must be something worth living for There must be something worth trying for Even something's worth dying for And if one man can stand tall There must be hope for us all Somewhere, somewhere in the spirit of man Spirit of man. Uh, we're going to take a break. I need one. You too. There's too much. Uh, we're looking at War of the Worlds. Okay. The Weekend Variety Wireless. 1978, War of the Worlds double album came out with those UFOs on sticks looking mean. Everyone bought it. I don't know why. This is one of the weirdest things to happen in music. Jeff Wayne, who wrote advertisement jingles, made one record in his life. This is it. It must have cost billions, full of stars, and sold in truckloads. So there you go. Jeff Wayne made lots of ads. Very, very good at tennis and as a tennis enthusiast. Uh, he won the doubles title at the National Clay Court Doubles uh, for veteran singles. In 1992, he partnered Davis Cup captain Roger Taylor at the European Veteran Championship. So there you go. Like seriously skilled at tennis, not just a bit handy with a serve. Yeah, one record, a lot of ads and a tennis racket. That's him. Okay. Good on him. At least he did something with himself. Right. His mum will be proud okay. and rich. <laughs> Okay, Dead London, that's kind of interesting. We'll play a bit of that. But, you know, it doesn't really sound spooky enough to me. Oh, I quite like this. It is given a really strong sense of place if you've ever knocked around London much. You know, there's there's a dozen dead bodies in the Euston Road. Yeah, yeah I understand and, you know, the, that. And looters have been ransacking the buildings. And if, you're, if you've spent time in London, you can visualise all these places with these critters in you them. Can... I quite like the Richard Burton part of the deal. But, but Grant, that's nothing yeah. to do with the music. I can write that down. Yeah. The music isn't spooky enough to me. No, I get you. I suppose they're just relying on the supposedly dread-inducing ooh-la sound, which does rear up with increasing frequency towards the end, because one last critter is making it. You wonder, God, where's all the Martians at? Somewhere along the line, which has missed out on these songs in the book, the parson and the journalist critter witness the Martians siphoning blood from humans. Oh, that's good. Fe feeding on them and so on. That's more like it. Out. Maybe they thought that was just a bit too grim for the, oh. the populace, but we were basically a bit of a snack or a sort of can of Red Bull for the Martians <laughs> in the original story. Nice. The parson on seeing this just completely loses his mind and hides in a cottage and this sort of retractable hand thing snakes in there and finds him and takes him out and presumably he gets drunk dry and cast aside. Nice. Yeah. But that's right. not in this bloody No, album. that's not in this. You've got the journalist ends up being one of the few still mooching around an empty London, which in itself must have been a scary concept being as it was such a massive populist sort of a joint yeah. at the time. Yeah, okay. You know. There were a dozen dead bodies in the Euston Road, their outlines softened by the black dust. All was still. Houses locked and empty. Shops closed, but looters had helped themselves to wine and food, and outside a jeweler's, some gold chains and a watch were scattered on the pavement.
staring towards the sound. It seemed as if that mighty desert of houses had found a voice for its fear and solitude. Here's something, another weird thing. Uh, this recording apparently won the best recording in science fiction and fantasy. I don't imagine there's a hell of a catchment area for s such things. <laughs> no. I wonder what it was up against. I don't know. Nothing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Only entry. Okay. All right. <laughs> Jeff Wayne went on to grow older and write more ads, and he's just carrying on doing this sort of thing and dining out on it. Yeah, he had a crack at Spartacus, but nobody gives up flying because uh, it's War of the Worlds. That's all he did, and he made it big from it. A vanity project made made good, better than anything else. Yep. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. It ends on a very strange note, doesn't it? It ends on the worst thing you can imagine. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, Brave New World. You've got to endure David Essex. Why does he overact so much? It's dreadful. Is he trying to sound like the Artful Dodger or something? You know, Without What's acting. What's so bad about the underground? It hasn't been so great up here, has it? He's got a kind of sort of vaguely Cockney vibe. Mm -hmm. But he sings the chorus in a really peculiar way, eh? Oh. He sings again and goes high on the end of game. What like the hell is going on? I don't know what's going on there. Freaky it's falsetto. But he and he also talks about not only will they go down into the drains, they'll start a whole new civilization down there. They'll build shops and hospitals and barracks under the feet of the aliens. They'll build villages and towns. They'll learn to play cricket again in the drains. <laughs> Major English pastimes like that will go on. And then they'll capture a couple of these machine things and wipe out the Martians. Why does he overact it so much? I don't oh, he know. does. Okay. He does. Oh. And, and really what happened in, in the book... I don't care. Oh, you should. Because it's all tied up neatly in the original story. You have the journalist reports that the Martians in the end were defeated, not by the humans, but by the Earth's bacteria, nah. to which they had no resistance. You know, which of course is a story of so many indigenous people around the world when these incoming colonisers. And humanity slowly recovers from the invasion. The journalist characters reunited with his beloved but it gets left hanging on the question earth is safe now but are the martians up there learning from their failures and just preparing a second invasion mm. they leave you with that okay <laughs> In the second invasion he could have written a whole new story if he really was that but he married to those characters okay good one thank you very much grant war of the worlds david essex i hope you've enjoyed it at home or at least been reminded 
about why you spent all that money on a double album in 1978. <laughs> I enjoyed it more than I thought I would, I have to say. Oh, did you? I, yeah, yeah. But mainly on the back of Richard Burton. I really like the narration. I like the way it's written. It makes you want to go back and read the book, actually. OK. We're going to build a whole new world for ourselves. Look, they clap eyes on us and we're dead, right? So we've got to make a new life where they'll never find us. You know where? Underground. You should see it down there. Hundreds of miles of drains. Sweet and clean now after the rain. Dark, quiet, safe. We can build houses and everything. Start again from scratch. And what's so bad about living underground, eh? It's not been so great living up here if you want my opinion. Take a look around you At the world we've come to know Does it seem to be much more Than a crazy circus show But maybe from the madness Something beautiful will grow In a brave new world With just a handful of men We'll start, we'll start all over again All over again and hospitals and barracks right under their noses, right under their feet. Everything we need, banks, prisons and schools. We'll send scouting parties to collect books and stuff and men like you will teach the kids, not poems and rubbish, science, so we can get everything working. We'll build villages and towns and, and we'll play each other at cricket. Listen. Maybe one day we'll capture a fighting machine, eh? Learn how to make them ourselves and then... Wallop! Our turn to do some wiping out. Whoosh with our heat ray. Whoosh! And them running and dying. Beaten at their own game. of the earth is fading fast and out of the confusion the chances come at last to build a better future from the ashes of the past in a brave new world give me a handful of men we'll start all over again
a slave in cages of convention from the cradle to the grave. The weak fall by the wayside, but the strong will be saved in a brave new world. With just a handful of men, we'll start all over Trying to tell you what to be. Oh no, oh no, not me. But if mankind is to survive, the people left alive, they're gonna have to appeal this world anew. Yes, Okay, okay, thank you. That's enough, David Essex. Uh, probably loved that hour talking about War of the Worlds because it just was so popular and remains so. It's, it's just such a fascinating thing that it is one of the biggest selling records of all time. Okie doke, uh, if you want to have a listen to some of the other reviews we've done involving catfights between myself and Grant Smithies, you can go to the Weekend Variety Wireless webpage. We've got a bunch of archives, some work's gone into them, so you can dip in and enjoy at your leisure. Uh, if you feel like it, a whole bunch of things on a similar theme. We've got Shipwreck Tales, Albums Turning 40, um, Outsiders with Jared Hindmarsh, a whole bunch of stuff. Go have a look and dip in as you like. Okay, new sport and weather coming up next and uh, overnight talkback 0800 844 747. I'll hand it over. Have a great night. Back again tomorrow, 8 till midnight.